Hey, everyone, and welcome to the season finale of Public Work, the public humanities podcast of the John Nicholas Brown Center for Public Humanities and Cultural Heritage at Brown University. My name is Amelia Golcheski. And my name is Jim McGrath. And this is the season finale. It's the end of an era. We made it. We made it. <laughs> On the other side. We we did not do a baker's dozen. We did just a, a regular old dozen. Um, and we decided that our last episode should focus on podcasts uh, and the, the work of making podcasts, who listens to podcasts, uh, why podcasts seem to be having this big moment uh, over the last few years. Um, so we're going to dive into the the sort of origin story of public work in just a sec. But uh, before we do that, I want to say that our guest this week is Liza Yeager, who is a former student of mine, actually. Uh, she took a class in digital story, digital public humanities uh, here uh, at Brown. She graduated from Brown in 2017. And while she was at Brown, she was one of, if not the podcast and sort of audio storytelling experts from the undergrad population. Um, she started a project called Now Hear This, spelled H-E-R-E, um, which was a, a really interesting multimodal audio storytelling project that had some of uh, its stories featured on Rhode Island Public Radio. Um, she was the first ever intern at NPR Story Lab. She worked on uh, the Jacobins The Dig podcast. Uh, more recently, she worked on State of Wonder, which is a show out of Oregon public broadcasting. So she has a lot of interesting experience in the podcast world and in the radio world and, and where those worlds overlap. So I think it'll be a really great conversation. Um, and you'll hear that in just a sec. But before that, we wanted to do some navel gazing. So let's, <laughs> Amelia did not like the term navel gazing, which is fine. Um, we'll, we'll edit that out or we'll leave it in. Um, so Public Work, this is the first ever podcast out of uh, the John Nicholas Brown Center for Public Humanities and Cultural Heritage. Um, how did we get started doing this, Amelia? Yeah. You know, I think the stars just aligned. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, um, we just ended up in September, you had been interested in doing a, a podcast project out of the Public Humanities Center, and I um, have a background in oral history, and I'm kind of interested in podcasting, and we just kind of teamed up and made this thing happen, and if I recall correctly, we, we kind of had several brainstorming sessions about what this would be, and yeah. We had to call upon all the podcasts we listened to to kind of come up with this. Yeah. And, and you know, just to, to give a little more context. So I was hired at the the John Nichols Brown Center for Public Humanities and Cultural Heritage as kind of the digital humanities specialist, digital public humanities specialist. And so podcasts were had been on my mind for a while. But, but the fall of 2017, um, we had uh, this sort of schedule opened up. Um, it was getting to the point where I wasn't sure how much longer I was going to be uh, in the employment of uh, the the JNBC, not because they were firing me, but because of postdoc. That's just how they work. Um, and we also had the money to hire Amelia to, to work on this. So I think that's an important dimension of, of this project, too. Um, and it was like the interest came from listening to a lot of podcasts and really thinking about it. One of the things that I think both of us liked about, you know, working together and, and thinking about this project was the fact that we weren't kind of academics trying to capitalize on a new hot thing, but we're more 
oh, well, we listen to podcasts all the time. Like, yeah, why doesn't the center have a podcast? And if the center did have a podcast, what would that podcast be like? So um, in terms of podcasts that we've listened to, um, I was uh, joking with Amelia that a lot of my time uh, is spent listening to podcasts by professional wrestlers. So there's a a whole – there's actually going to be a convention of podcasts by – about professional wrestling uh, in Chicago in the fall. Um, Yes, (laughs) Amelia is making a surprise face. Get you Um, to Chicago, y'all. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and, But specifically, the ones that I like are are former professional wrestlers interviewing current professional wrestlers or uh, other former professional wrestlers. And it's kind of a perspective on – the work behind the scenes and how people got into doing this work in the first place. And and so it's, you know, from a, a fan's perspective, I'm, I really want to know like the work that goes into this work and, and the perspectives of the people doing that work. So I think that weirdly did have traction with the public humanities context and, and really thinking about, well, we have this, this big field called public humanities and there are lots of different people who do different things in it. Um, some of the things that get done in public humanities are things that I've done and have uh, experience uh, with, but but there's a lot I don't know. So so talking to to people who are doing various things seem like a really productive and interesting thing. And and there might be people in audiences who had similar questions about uh, stuff like that. Um, so Amelia, what podcasts had you previously listened to, and how did that listening experience inform what you wanted to bring to public work? Yeah, you know I think podcast. They've been around for a little while now. And I remember... Since the Stone Age. Since the Stone Age. It was fire and then audio <laughs> storytelling. Uh-huh. Um, but I remember, like, in college, I listened to a lot of backstory, which is definitely more academic. And and I listened to Gravy, which is the Southern Foodways Alliance. They're really great podcasts. But most of the podcasts I listen to are interview-style podcasts. Like, I listen to Mark Maron's WTF weekly um my very favorite podcast besides public work is death sex and money which is out of wnyc and it's um you know explores those three topics in in detail and so i think when i was thinking about what form this podcast could take it was really interview style and then it was just listening to how mark Marin conducts an interview or how anna sale conducts an interview and kind of learning from them just to like be quiet and listen. Um, and I think that's kind of interesting to have learned podcasting through listening to these kind of more established interviewers. Um, but I think you're right. I think because podcasting is so big right now, we really found like a space to talk about public humanities work and really kind of highlighting the work of the center and and practitioners and people around Brown just felt like a really natural thing for us to do. Yeah, and and one of the things that I'm I'm proud of the in terms of the work we did was that we were interested in, especially in this developed more over time into to something we kind of formalized in getting voices of early career practitioners or or of our own graduate students because I think sometimes. The, the podcast genre kind of lends itself to, to experts, right, and, mm-hmm. and, and takes authoritative takes and, and declarations and things like that, whereas the approach that we have taken and, and kind of developed and, and thought about um, – over the the course of doing this is more iterative and thinking out loud and and you know asking questions that people may not have 
come to a fully formed answer on yet or, or or even sort of inviting them to reflect on components of their their careers or or research interests or whatever that you know maybe they haven't thought you know in in ways that they might articulate to to other people about like yeah why am i interested in this thing how did i spend all my all my time doing uh you know this this particular stuff so i think that's been an important component of it for me and and i think it's been interesting because podcasts are so prevalent and, and ubiquitous and and popular like our take which comes from listening to to things like mark maron or 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 you know listening to wrestlers kind of rambled um, to each other um, is not the take that other, you know, everyone that we talk to has on podcasts. So, so some you know, for, for some people they're like, well, the audio, you know, could be this way or whatever. And we're like, okay, great. Or like you could have bed music, you know, and, and, and it could be more polished and neat. And we're like, yeah, it could be that. Um, and maybe that could be your podcast. <laughs> you know, the podcast that we've been, uh, interested in and, and developing has been a little more informal and 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 is c- trying to create a space for uh, maybe less polished ideas thinking in process and, and sort of seeing work and ideas develop um, and, and hearing from people as they're developing those ideas. Yeah. And kind of going off of providing space, the thing I'm most proud of is how many women we highlighted this season. And how many women got to talk about their own work or the projects they've done and their their own interests. And to provide that space and then for us to be in that space and kind of probing and hearing um, about all these cool ideas um, and giving that digital space for women to talk about their work feels really important. And I think, um, you know, looking at how many, how many, men kind of occupy the podcast world it feels really great that a majority of our episodes you were really hearing from women and largely young women kind of talking about their own work and their own interest and kind of their aspirations and public humanities and and that's probably the thing i'm most proud of yeah it it was you know just a great dimension of of the work we've done and and yeah i think that's also you've been a real driving force on on making sure that we we stick with that and that we we emphasize that too. Um, any sort of other reflections on like what was a, a key takeaway from from doing this work? Yeah, I think we really treated this as kind of an exploratory thing. You know, kind of going back to yeah, it wasn't the most polished project we've ever done at Brown University. But that was cool, and we had a lot of space to kind of play, and we had a lot of space to think about um, all the different people we could talk to, right? We heard from, you know, a state folklorist in, like, a pretty concrete position, and then we heard from co-host of Moonhouse, kind of this project that happened at Brown, and it was just about creating intentional space. You know, we, we had such a range, and I think because we were not – um, trying to do something as like polished as a conference paper or as polished as a master's thesis or something like that. We, we really had so much space to hear from so many different people and different projects. And that's pretty neat. Yeah, it was super neat. <laughs> it was rad, y'all. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, I think that, yeah, that's, that's been a big takeaway. I think we, we spent a bit of time developing this idea in the, the fall semester and then um, rolled it out in the spring. And then once it started rolling, we were like, oh, we need to keep making episodes and, and thinking about what we're doing. And, and that was a little scary at first, but I think, um, you know, it was nice to, to see that we were happy with the results as, you know, after we, we opened this thing up. So I think in terms of, takeaways maybe for for other people who are thinking about podcasts um it can be done uh and i mean we we have a studio space here at the brown university library that we um have been fortunate to to have access to thanks to patrick rashley and some of the other people here at the the library um but i think it can be done in other ways too um and and you know using technology uh and and microphones and things like that um and yeah i think it's it was a, a a key takeaway was that interest in, well, like, let's just get this thing out here and, and see how it goes. And, and there's been a lot of thought and consideration put into it, but also, you know, at a certain point we wanted to just do something. And, and, and so we did it and now it's wrapping up. And so this is the season finale in part because Amelia has graduated. Um, so she's it's no true. longer a Brown university public humanities grad student. Uh, she's off to Emory. Uh, to pursue her PhD, which is super exciting. And, and uh, my guess is we will probably hear Amelia in some form, uh, you know, when she's not super busy doing a PhD uh, there. Um, and so we're going to, we being the, the Center for Public Humanities, think about next steps for um, podcasts and whether it's public work or something else. Um, I think you'll, you can stay tuned to at public work pod uh, or even email us at publicworkpodcast at gmail.com to, to find out more about that. But we also, I think, are proud of the fact that the episodes we did record do kind of stand up and and I think will stand not the full test of time, but but they're they're definitely focused on topics and their conversations that are accessible to people um, beyond like kind of breaking news or, or you know, live uh, ongoing events. I think there, there are things that if people are interested in museum studies or people are interested in uh, experimental creative approaches to public humanities, you have this dozen interviews to check out. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Thank you all so very much for listening. We sincerely appreciate it. Yeah. And if you didn't listen, we, we thank you for lying to us and, and saying yeah. that you did listen. Looking at you, Mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, Amelia's parents do uh, listen to the podcast because I I was uh, yelled at by, by her dad at graduation for uh, critiquing her musical skills. Um, but I feel like that's what happens when you introduce Enya to the conversation. Your, your musical skills get called into question. But I was first chair clarinetist for all four years at East Glass High School in Lynchburg, Virginia. So, you know, there is some musical ability there. Yeah, yeah. So, so we we've we've gone on the record. We've clarified that. I've apologized uh, in person, and now I've apologized on the air too. Um, but yeah, so that's a that just seems like an ideal way to, to, to wrap up wrap this intro. Up. Um, so stay tuned to, to hear from Liza Yeager uh, talking about her work on podcasts and in radio. And thanks for listening to this season of Public Work. Hi. Hello. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Um, <laughs>
So I'm here with Liza Yeager, um, who is a recent graduate from Brown University's American Studies uh, program department, class of 2017. Uh, 2017.5. Yeah, 2017.5. Cool. <laughs> um, and while she was at Brown, uh, one of the things that Liza did, um, she did a lot of uh, really interesting, exciting audio stuff, but one of the initiatives was Now Hear This, spelled H-E-R-E, which is a platform for student-produced audio storytelling that still lives on after Liza has left. Um, she has also worked on uh, The Dig, which is a podcast with uh, Jacobin. Um, she was the first intern at NPR Story Lab and uh, recently just found out that she's going to be starting a gig at Radio Lab soon. So that's cool. So welcome, Liza. Thank you. Uh, and we wanted to talk to Liza because obviously she's been doing a lot of exciting work in audio uh, storytelling and, and specifically in podcasts. Um, so maybe a good place to start is, Liza, how did you get uh, started in doing this sort of work? Um, well, yeah. Okay. When I think about it now, I think I was actually like recording stuff as a little kid all the time. And like I'm weirdly like had radio stuff that I was working on in high school, but I was not thinking about it in a very serious way until college um, when I started doing this program at Brown called Storytellers for Good, which was run through the Public Service Center here. Um, and during my freshman year, it was the first year of that program, and they were basically recruiting students to train to make multimedia stories about public service work. Um, and when I heard about that program, that was like the first time when I thought, I don't know, it was like very mind blowing for me. I was like, oh, you can make media that is also useful for people. <laughs> I don't know. I just like nobody had ever told me that before. And then it felt like really obviously that's what I should do. Um, and then I just liked the audio the best. I think, yeah, I like I like talking to people with only a microphone, I think. Um, so what were some of the specific stories that you worked on as part of that first batch or is it? too far away to, to recall um I, yeah it was a long time ago but um yeah just like I would talk to people about their like social enterprise initiatives and what sort of why they cared about what they were doing and the idea was to um the idea was that if you could tell the story of someone's good work in a really compelling way then more people would care about it and you would sort of like build community around that work which was awesome um I mean it it it's not an uncomplicated way of telling a story, of course, because um, you're you're pretty much selling their work. Um, but it was it was storytelling. Yeah, and, and I think that's like I I mean I've taught a digital storytelling course at Brown, and and sometimes people I think they see that term and they think I think it's like straightforward or or obvious or that anyone can you know just kind of pick up and and run with it. But but I think when you actually take the time to think about the medium you're using and, and the voices you're privileging and, um, you know, the structure and the, the, the tools that you have to involved in storytelling, it gets complicated really fast. So, I mean, it's, and it's also interesting too, that you noted that, um, you didn't realize that this was an option. Um, so, I mean, maybe like talk a bit about how this sort of kind of storytelling fit into your prior academic training or like how you see it fitting into like undergraduate work and things like that. Um, yeah, so that was in my freshman year when I started that, um, but, um, basically right away I started thinking about it in, in terms of my schoolwork. So, so during my sophomore year, I, I switched to American studies full time and all my American studies professors were really 
talking about sort of accessibility and they were really focused on um, speaking in their classes in a way that was really grounded and accessible and also often like a huge component of the class would be making making a project that was for the public in some way. Um, which is, I think, why I really liked the department. <laughs> um, and right away I was like, oh, can I please just like make radio stuff for all my final projects? And normally people would be sort of up for it. Um, yeah, and that was around the same time when I started Now Hear This at Brown. Um, got together a bunch of friends and we sort of like trained each other to make radio stories. Um, there wasn't a lot of infrastructure for making narrative stories at school at that time. Um, so yeah, we got together and so that became sort of my outlet for more creative work and then in classes I could make more, I guess, like academic storytelling stuff. So, I mean, were you surprised to that they, you found this sort of community of other like-minded people on campus who were also asking the same questions or like what did you, like what was that like kind of getting a bunch of people in the same room and saying, hey, we might actually have something here and then leading to the creation of this thing called Now Hear This? Um... I think right away, it was really obvious that there were a lot of people who were super interested and had a lot of ideas. Um, I don't know. You're on a campus, so there's a lot of people who are doing, like, theater. You have a lot of people who are doing writing. And it, it just seemed, like, weird to me and my friends that there there wasn't this other way of telling stories. Like, there wasn't, like, an infrastructure for it. So I think it right away it felt like a gap that we could sort of teach ourselves to fill. Um and I think probably a lot of people were feeling the same way about, like, they were grappling with all these big ideas in school um, and outside of school. And it, I don't know, it's really nice to have, like, an like a, an audio medium to, to sort of, like, re-express those ideas and reformulate them and package them into something that people can listen to and sort of, like, deal with in a new way. Yeah, and I mean, it, it, it is really, it seems kind of obvious when you spell it out that way that, yeah, universities will have theater departments or writing clubs or newspapers and things like that. And and some of them might have radio stations, right? Um, um, but also, I think what we're in this moment where, you know, the radio station is definitely one exciting medium, but but other forms of audio storytelling are, are so prevalent. So so having a space to, to do more exploratory, experimental stuff seems, yeah, it's, it seems kind of obvious in retrospect like why don't more <laughs> universities have um these things so what was it like and, like what kind of feedback did you get when you all decided to to roll this out um it was really exciting really fast <laughs> i don't know um I, a lot of people paid attention to it really fast actually like outside of brown which was um felt sort of high stakes and sort of cool uh, i think people so i don't know we were featured on this this the training website basically the open source training website for for radio folks which is called transom they they featured us right away and they were kind of like oh there's not that many students making narrative stories in college here's some people who are trying and here's how they're doing it and right away we got we, we asked for students at other schools to contact us and we got a ton of feedback from students at other colleges who then went on to found really similar things um and now as like a young person going out into the world to work, a lot of those kids who were starting radio projects at their colleges at the same time as me are now my like colleagues. Yeah, which is cool. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. St like sticking with it and and building on the foundations from from these little um, enterprises too on campus. Yeah. Yeah, but I think like in terms, it always felt like more of a workshop. Like it was always more about like learning and um, like me and the other producers teaching ourselves to make this thing. That, like we were always focused, I think, more on 
getting better than on having like a real audience. You know, it, it felt like we we're teaching ourselves a skill. Yeah. That's kind of what this public work podcast has been for, for the Center for Public Humanities is like, yeah, we, we want to just kind of learn the ropes of, of doing this stuff, too. So so you have this sort of group of people with different interests. Like, did you find that um, and you're you're feeling a need in terms of like education and, and having a kind of training ground or, labor, you know, like laboratory context and but but moving towards telling actual stories. But were there particular like radio programs or podcasts or things that that served as important um I don't know, objects of inspiration, like kind of an audio vision board, if that makes sense or something. Yeah, I think for us, we wanted to have a space where we could copy everybody that we liked. That was like really the point. We were like, oh, we have all these amazing resources on our campus. We have people who are really good at just like telling stories out loud. We have people who are really good at writing. We have professors who know like all who are making all these amazing breakthroughs in like science and history. Um it seems like we could just like try and copy, you know, like This American Life or Radio Lab. And at that point, that was in 2014. So those were like the big podcasts that you could really copy. Um, but yeah, we we right away started doing sort of that kind of more like personal narrative. And also um, we would try and do like sciencey stories, um, drawing on the resources of the campus. Um, and then we also would just like be in writing classes and pluck out the best writing that we liked and sort of convince people in our classes to, to turn it into audio form. Um, and we would also do live. We would collaborate with the live storytelling group on campus. Cool. So, And what were some uh, I, know, I know there's probably a whole bunch of different things. And you don't want to leave anybody out. But what were some of the highlights of like stories that you produced and circulated? Um, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I. It's been a long time, and I think that uh, I don't know. I I think that there's there's been like many amazing stories that other people have done. I I was really proud when we did collaborations. We did a lot of collaborations for a while with the minority peer counselors on campus. So they we would like collaborate with them to make audio trainings. Um, we did that a couple times. That was cool. Um, yeah, I don't know. People just like. People just like made weird stuff that I hadn't heard before on the radio. And that mm. was cool. So I think my favorite stories were the ones that sounded like just like funky and weird. And I was like, oh, this would never have gotten accepted as a pitch to a normal podcast. Like it only works because we have this like weird workshop where you can put like poetry and like funky sound design and like your interview with your roommate and make it into a thing. Yeah. It's not like a fully coherent brand or, or, or sort of identity and stuff. Yeah. But... I think. Yeah. I think that's what I was the most proud of. Cool. So then what what is it like then sort of having this space and, and learning a lot of technical stuff, but also, you know, in, interesting storytelling techniques um, moving from that experience into spaces like StoryLab? Um, I don't know. It, <laughs> it was kind of so. Yeah. So the StoryLab at NPR is basically the place where they come up with new new and ideally more creative content. And I think for me, it felt really special to be in that space because I was with all these people who were like, oh, we're going to brainstorm. We're going to think of new weird things. And so I felt really valued for having this experience with a bunch of young people who hadn't really worked in radio before. You know, like when people are coming from like the background of a student and they haven't had this like really formulaic training, they just like have weird ideas. Um, and so it was fun for me to be able to sort of like bring some of the those up. Um, yeah, but 
I mean, it was weird for me to be at NPR because it was really the first time that I learned about standards of journalism. And I was like, oh, I don't really know. I don't know. It was the first time that I learned um, that you had to be like apolitical and like sort of like learned the rules of what that meant. Um, and I had, yeah, I had a lot of questions about that. Right. Yeah. And, that, and that's a really interesting context, too, because I think one of the things that appeals to a lot of people about podcasts, uh, you know, and and is that there's kind of a low barrier of entry, you know, generally speaking. There obviously like it requires technology and, and resources and things like that, but but you do get content that's like very subjective and and sort of explicitly political in other cases. So it's interesting then to sort of move into this other context where it's like, no, we have these standards and and um, methodologies or or whatever. So so that there's you the tension kind of becomes more visible like when you move into that space. Yeah, I feel like most people who go into journalism come from a journalism background and I had really only had this like self-taught storytelling thing that I was like I think people are like being honest and like saying what they feel and that seems important to me and then I was like oh I I now have to think about all these other rules I'm not really sure yeah I mean what, <laughs> so I what, about that. what was one of the the most important kind of takeaways or lessons you had from that experience or maybe even like something that like other people who are, who are just getting started or thinking about audio storytelling could maybe learn from the more formal journalistic approach or is it cool uh, to keep them separate um i don't know i guess for me it made me really value coming from a storytelling background it made me really value coming from a no rules background because i felt like um i don't know i felt like the rules were fine i could like learn the rules um but having sort of this like stream of like funkier more out there ideas that felt like something that i couldn't have learned um, that was a really important takeaway. I don't, I didn't really get on board <laughs> with the whole like journalism thing. I still don't really think of myself as a journalist. I think that sometimes I do journalistic work and adhere to those standards. And sometimes it's really important to like say exactly what your biases are. Um, and yeah, I, I didn't really come to any firm conclusions about, you know, like whether all those rules are functioning as well as they could be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we've definitely seen that happen too, where like people say, well, we can't, talk about this but it's like well no you are talking about that and yeah um sort of things like that uh there too i mean it's also interesting too that the story lab model kind of has that space for brainstorming and deliberation and, and kind of pitching back and forth was that um like how that kind of makes me think about the question of like when you're talking to people who might not be doing this work or, or have as much familiarity with it like do they do they assume it like happens much more quickly or, or easier? Like it's just people getting in a room and talking and then like that's that's how it turns out. Or um, like what what are some of the more, I don't know, um, mechanics or, or, or aspects of doing this work that you think maybe people could be more aware of? Huh. I mean, I think it depends on what you're trying to make, right? Like mm -hmm. we can, you can do what we're doing right now and we can like sit down and just like have a talk. Yeah. And for a lot of people, that's like exactly what they want to listen yeah. to. Well, I took these informal notes on this <laughs> notepad that I'm holding <laughs> But yeah, yeah, that this is kind of sit down and, and talk for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely I do have the experience of whenever I do freelance work for people who haven't worked with audio producers before, I kind of have to be like, this is like, takes so much. If you want me to make like a crafted story, like making it short, takes a long time like like writing and mixing takes a long time and for me I think like stories are what I actually want to hear you know like a like a well-written story is what I want to hear for the most part um but it is really hard and honestly like even so when I was at NPR I did a lot of booking 
So I would basically like call people and figure out if they were good enough for this like segment that I would be making. I've, I've been on those calls before. It's really like, yeah, you're being, uh, you're, it's like an audition, which I didn't realize. Yeah. I, I did something for a, a, a radio broadcast, about this project I work on about the Boston Marathon bombings. And they were like, okay, yeah, we can put you on the air. Like, and I was because like, oh. you're fun and entertaining. I don't know. Yeah. And I guess that's what they have the interns do. You know, you like call, I would like call people and like make them tell me about their life for like an hour. And then sometimes I'd be like, man, I mean, Good story, but they weren't like that good at telling it. I don't know. Yeah, how does how does that work? How do you let people down? Uh, I don't know. I I would I would prep them up front. I'd be like, I'm calling many people. Um, sure. But but yeah, that that is I think something that maybe people like aren't paying attention to all the time is that like, people if someone sounds good on the radio, it's because someone someone decided that they would sound good and like picked them out because yeah. they're because they're fun to listen to do you ever run into the the other issue where it's like there are clearly like talking points that they have or and they're they're kind of like robotic or or they don't deviate for sure for sure and i mean there are a bunch of tactics to to get people to quit that right you know like <laughs> sometimes i'll like be really straight up and be like okay can you just tell me this as you're as if you were talking to like a five-year-old can you can you tell me about this specific moment when when you like felt uh, a particular way you know i'll like try really hard to get people to tell me stuff they haven't thought of before but i mean sometimes they just can't do it and you're like okay never mind (laughs) (laughs) you just dial another number yeah 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 yeah. um yeah so I think like all the those little things are really fascinating too, and I know that like when Amelia and I were working on this public work, like we took a lot of time just sitting in rooms and like brainstorming. Like we 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 didn't immediately come into the the studio on campus and and record too. But although we did do some pre, you know, testing out like just intro banter and, and stuff like that. And and I remember one of the things that we did was we started very scripted, and we were like, this sounds bad yeah. <laughs> like for, for, for us um and i and i know that like i'm sure some people listening are like yeah you guys would probably ramble less if you had a script but we like the rambling part you know like right. we like the kind of thinking out loud and the the iterative um design for it so like who i guess like the, so you've been in this space um that's like more formal like through npr and, and obviously like you're still interested in those spaces because you're you're doing the work with with radio lab and then you have these other um you have this experience doing this more experimental kind of um, less rule intensive audio storytelling. Like who do you listen to that kind of captures that spirit of the like, Oh, it doesn't seem like they're, they're worried as much about like journalistic storytelling, more exploratory, iterative, fun, funky. Uh-huh. To use a word that you've used a lot. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think there's a few examples. Honestly, it's hard It's hard to find. I think that there's like a way that most podcasts sound that we're really used to stories sounding. Um, and it's, you can like learn how to make those stories and um, they sound good and they're easy to listen to. And you, it's really easy for a listener to take something away from them. And I think there's a really formulaic sound in most radio right now. Um, and it's sort of hard to imagine your way out of that. Um, one thing that one podcast that has been really inspirational to me is the memory palace. Okay. Um, which is just like, it's actually just a guy who reads pretty much like essays about history that he's written. Um, but they're short and they're really beautifully sound designed. And, um, he, he sort of, because he's not telling a straight up historical facts story because he's narrativizing it, um, 
he is able to bring up all these sort of like intricate thoughts about like the way that history works and the way that stories work um, that I think is really cool. And it's really, I don't know, like that, that podcast I feel like is one really good example of a, like a podcast that is doing public humanities. Like he, um, the producer, Nate DeMeo, will like research a tiny historical event, like a really niche event and tell like a beautiful story about a person a person who was a part of that history and then like sort of end bringing up these like big ideas about why we care about history or sort of like the way that we share information um, and is able to like weave them in in this really beautiful and creative way. Cool. Um, I'll, yeah. I'll check that one out. I haven't heard it. Um, and you talked a little bit before about how I think when you were kind of starting to do this work at Brown, it was 2014, and, and there were kind of a much smaller – there's a smaller pool to, to draw from. And, it, and a lot of it was kind of – and I remember this was my initial impression of, of podcasts was like, oh, these are radio programs that I can just bring with me on my iPod, my, like, very old iPod. Um, but um, but obviously there's been such a boom, yeah. like, since then, and, and now there's, like, a really long history of podcasts. I mean, like, what um, – what do you think's driving that, or what do you think's like exciting about that, or do you have any thoughts about this kind of now ubiquity of podcasts? <laughs> I don't know. I think people are just like busy and really like to. I I feel like there's a real self improvement kick with podcasts. Like you can you can learn a lot, and it's not very hard because someone is like making it easy for you to learn a thing about whatever topic you care about. Um, or, you know, like you can listen to a po comedy podcast and it's fun. I don't know. I just I think I think it has to do with multitasking and sort of like self-improvement that maybe that's like a a sad way to think about it. But, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's because we're all working like multiple jobs and <laughs> and and or yeah, we need we need these other outlets and, and other resources for education and stuff. Yeah, I could see that being a bummer. But... <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, um, I don't know. Yeah, and also like I don't know, I don't have a TV. Like, mm -hmm. I and none of my friends like have a TV. You know, I, I have a TV. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> that's okay though. <laughs> I hadn't for a while. Yeah, this is like year two of a TV. Cool. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty. I mean, exciting. I'm not opposed to it. I'm just like that's like not where I'm at in in my life right now. And yeah, so yeah. I have this this entertainment that is free that I can like carry around as I go on a walk mm -hmm. that like makes me feel sort of like I'm getting better, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. What that also leads to this interesting question of like the economics of podcasts, right? Is like that. So like you coming from like the content creation side, you know how much work and effort goes into this. And then like, these things, like a lot of them do just circulate sort of fr freely. What, um, but I mean, obviously that's a good thing if you're looking for that, that content. I mean, are there, can you think of like, in your experience, like potential drawbacks, does it lead to sort of like, sort of like a homogenized like kind of of storytelling at the upper level um, because like the resources are, are sort of limited or that people don't, um, you know, the people who get paid to do it kind of um, the expectations are, are different or does like the free the freeness kind of free it up? Yeah, I kind of think there's a lot of money in podcasting right now, mm -hmm. actually. And maybe it is only money for, like, people who have a particular kind of experience or are making a particular kind of sound. Sure. You know, there's, like, a few big companies. Yeah. But um, – Yeah, like these consortiums of – yeah. Um, and then the advertising and stuff. Right. I think I think people can make a lot of money on it. Um, but, yeah, sometimes I think about branded podcasts. I feel like 
that is a really weird thing. Um, yeah, I guess like one thing that is, has come up for me as I've been freelancing for the past few months is just like there's such a wide spectrum of how much you can get paid. Like people just have like really different ideas of what is like fair pay. And because yes. it's such a new industry, it's like, yeah, you know, there are like no real answers. And there's like expectations that you can just pick, push a button or something. Sure. And, um, or like that, like, you know, oh, well, we can just record and then just pick the good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, yeah. yeah. So, um I think for me, it has always, like, I supported myself in college. Like, always my side jobs were, like, audio-related for the most part. Like, it worked for me. I've, like, always been able to make a little bit of money doing it. But, um, yeah, it's strange to think that, like, someone could pay me, like, you know, like, $500 to make a story that is really long that took me probably, like, 50 hours. Or I could work for, like, I, I could make a podcast for, like, um, like my bank Charles Schwab and like that would just be like such a wildly different pay scale and like both of those outlets like feel like this is an important thing for them to have yeah yeah huh yeah my bank recently emailed me that they have a podcast and I was like that wow. seems really dumb that was well yeah that was like I remember when I was I was driving somewhere once and, and I drove past a bank and the sign was like we're on Facebook and I was like why is the bank on Facebook yeah why do you need that <laughs> yeah 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 like what's yeah but I mean I think the the other thing you were talking about too though about um it, it's a very like public humanities kind of thing is like how do you assign value or think about value not just from like your educational goals or like you know the goals of the experience but like the monetary value or like the of, of the work we do in it um, you know, some of the experiences that I've had working with oral historians, I feel like they're very underpaid um, and and kind of taken for uh, granted. And there's so much research and, and labor that goes into to, to that stuff um, that, you know, it's but it's different from the the kinds of things that are valued in academic context. Kind of getting, you know, kind of getting back to what you're um, saying before about how the, the now here this um project kind of gives you a space to circulate things outside of the classroom and uh but like the the kind of work that gets valued in the classroom uh american studies notwithstanding and i'm sure there are other departments that do this stuff too um is often like you know you write a paper and it and it kind of circulates um to somebody's desk yeah. <laughs> like an email and and sort of go from there so so i think that kind of you know placing a value on the storytelling and, and seeing it so popular and seeing the feedback um, kind of also raises all questions about like, well, like, why aren't we making more space for for this stuff um, and, 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 and assigning a, a more concrete, explicit value to it? Yeah. I mean, I think in terms of academic value, one thing that I thought about a lot while I was in school was sort of like how rigor is, is assigned. And um, yeah, I don't know. I, <laughs> I felt like, and I still feel that this is true that, um, I don't know that. So when you when you make an audio story, when you when you make something in audio form, you have to speak in a conversational tone like your content has to be understandable when someone listens to it for the first time or else they like will not get what's going on. You know, there's no like built in way to like reread or to pause or to look something up in the dictionary. Like people will just get lost. And like, yeah, there's a lot of like inaccessible shows but like they're not like no one's paying attention to them because they just can't keep up. Um, and yeah, so I don't know when I was making stuff in school, I, I often was like, Ugh. I feel like there's this tension because 
on the one hand, I want my work to be really rigorous. You know, I want I want to like do a lot of really good research and think about things in a complex way and, and be nuanced. And also, I think it's really I think it's a rigorous task to make your work accessible, you know? Yeah. 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 And the idea that, um, yeah, no, I totally that that relates to a lot of my experiences in academic context, because, yeah, there's a there's kind of like a fetishization of like, oh, this person read all these books and and like they, you know, when they write about this topic, the first two paragraphs are all citations from like the hundreds of years of, of stuff. And then they can like make a small, um, you know, addition to this large, you know, history. And yeah, and a lot of it is like, wow, like look, look how much work went into <laughs> to this. But like being conversational and being social and being engaging in, in, in audio content, like that's work too, <laughs> you know? And yeah. that, and that like takes, like that does take time to, to reflect on and learn about and, and stuff too. And, and yeah, that, that, that sort of all it, and it's not, a, and the other thing too, is like, it's not a neat lineup. Like it's like some people are, you know, they've, they've picked it up quicker than others in the same way that some people pick up writing quicker um, than, than other people. Um, but yeah, it, it, it does really kind of raise this question of like, oh, do we really only value stuff if like you're like, oh, I wrote three drafts and right. then, um, and I and proofread it eight times and showed it to these six people. And now but, I mean, five people are reading it. Yeah. <laughs> or like, you know, to make your podcast good, often you have to make three drafts. You know, you have yeah. to like, I guess. Yeah, I guess I found myself often in college wishing that the work of making that, like, if your paper, if your paper was good. I, I wish that your good paper meant that it was also accessible. You know, yes, I wish that sure. accessibility was sort of built into the, the rubric the of, value. Yeah. of um, what is like good academic work. Yeah. No. Rather totally. than being sort of like an add on or like you're dumbing it down. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. Ter yeah. I'm getting flashbacks to, to, to cr critiques. Usually like and they're usually like. Uh, critiques that people like you're not asking for the critiques you're just kidding. <laughs> you're like oh thanks appreciate it yeah. um maybe just to, to round it out like what would be because obviously you're continuing to do work um you know after school and you're doing this freelance stuff and then you're working with these really amazing uh initiatives but like what would be your dream kind of job or or projects in in this domain um well i just want to make stories with my friends that are good and weird um, <laughs> so yeah, my dream project is to, um, is to have a, a podcast specifically, um, featuring the work of like young and emerging producers. Cause I think that n nobody's really doing that right now. Um, so if anyone wants to fund me, that'd be cool. <laughs> you know, yeah. lots of talented people. I'm just trying to pay. Um, but also, I mean, in terms of specific projects, I'm, I'm working on a freelance story that I feel like is sort of my dream project. Um, it's all about it, it's also very public humanities. It's about it's about these high schoolers in on an island in northern Washington, like a little tiny island who put on a play about white supremacy, specifically about this white supremacist group that operated basically like right next to their hometown in the 1980s. Um, so it's sort of about how their community um, grappled with this history and how they are sort of like trying to resurrect it and um, change the community memory of this event, which was like pretty much erased. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then like audio being like the chosen intervention. Right. Or right. like, yeah, yeah, that's that's that sounds awesome. Yeah, cool. but that kind of sounds like, intense. Those, but yeah, those are the kinds yeah. of stories that I'm really trying to do is like weird stories about history and memory, which is like what I was thinking about in school for the most part, too. 
So cool. Yeah. Well, hopefully we hear uh, some weird stories from you <laughs> in the future. Uh, Liza Yeager, thanks so much for talking with Public Work. Thank you. That was my formal NPR voice. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just turn it on a little bit. Yeah. Okay, we'll end with this weird informal thing uh, just to keep it real. Okay, <laughs> take care.